Hi, everyone. Apologies for the short delay. The gods of internet were not with us today, but uh, we are here. So your co-host today is me, Nikos, and Gloria. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Nikos. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. And today we have a topic which is a bit away from the riots and a bit away from uh, all the chaos out there. And today we're going to discuss beauty. And the question is, is beauty something which is objective? Is beauty something which is socially constructed, as people say? Or is beauty something that is in the eye of the beholder? And what made me think about this topic was some posters I saw about some uh, by some big corporations that have gone through hiring some models that are a bit different from the models that we'd see in the 90s. So the 90s was the time of, at least as we have it in our mind, the time of the sex symbols. So mm -hmm. you would say, who is the big sex symbol? And you would say something like Cindy Crawford or then Pamela Anderson. Whereas today, if you ask who is the sex symbol, I'm not even sure that there is such a thing. And there's a new development also, which is the so-called body positivity movement, which basically says that there is not such a thing as sex symbol because there is not such a thing as one standard of beauty. And again, you see big companies hiring models of a bigger size, and this is considered something which is good. And it might be, but we will discuss all this today. So first of all, just to make clear that we are not passing the objectivist line on beauty, because there is no such thing. Like Ayn Rand said something nice about beauty, but it was only on a Q&A, so it was not something that she consistently works. She said, beauty basically is harmony, that everything is integrated. So for example, in a human face, no matter if you have a long nose or whatever, that things, your face basically shows your character. It, it is an integrated whole. So Gloria, what's your take on all that? Is beauty something which is objective or is it anything goes? Thank you, Nikos. It's so good to be here with you. And I, I love that we're talking about uh, beauty and uh, sex symbols and, and all of this because it relates a lot to the way we perceive uh, art and the way that we perceive each other and also what messages are we bringing out there. As we were discussing on a previous episode, I think that there's no such thing as one uh, standard of beauty regarding the skin color or the color of your eyes. It has nothing to do with something like that. You can find beauty in every uh, different uh, part of the world with different colors and uh, with different genotypes, right? But there is something about beauty and harmony that I think has to do more with having a healthy lifestyle, right? Because there is, there is some truth that from, from some years uh, till now, uh, markets and, uh, and campaigns have not described beauty in one boring, uh, a skinny type as it was in the 90s. And only if you were like Anglo-Saxon, it, it, it was like, that was the norm since the 50s with the invention of advertising until the 90s, that was like the norm. And now you have campaigns of embrace your body as it is, embrace your, your face as it is, which I think are great. But there is a difference in between embracing yourself as you are and also being the best version of yourself, right? So 
uh, there, there is, I, I think that there's a, a thin line where no one should get confused into the, the point of accepting you, yourself as you are and portraying obesity as something healthy and beautiful because then you're also sending a wrong message. If you send the message of a skinny Anglo-Saxon girl as the only pattern of beauty, but you also send the message that obesity is something healthy and should be embraced and, and we should all embrace our bodies with the irresponsibility of not taking care of one's body, I think that is also a destructive and misleading message. I think that beauty has to do a lot with health and by health, not only physical health, but also mental health. Uh, because it is also true that many gorgeous people, if they don't have uh, something in their, in, in their essence that drives you to them, like their character, their personality, their integrity, their dignity, it doesn't matter how beautiful a person can be in the objective standards, you're just gonna get bored of that, of that person, right? So I think that beauty has to, precisely because it's about harmony, I think it's something about physical harmony with mental harmony and, uh, and, and, and the connection between having coherence in between your feelings and your thoughts. My, my issue mostly with this discussion is the following one. So I think I've mentioned it in the past, the number one topic that my students in university pick when they have to write an essay or a dissertation is that how beauty standards and social media have an effect on people's mental health. And here's the problem I have with that. First of all, I don't question that this is the case. I truly believe that there are many young people and particularly many young girls who indeed have this issue with their self-image. My problem is why has society passed the message that you are to judge yourself with someone else's standard? That's the one thing. And the second thing I have an issue is, is this discussion that these things, that these, these bodies are mostly unrealistic. I mean, it could be unrealistic, but also in a way art is unrealistic, but art is basically telling you, this is like a, a high standard and try to reach it. So it is a challenge that it puts on you. And there's a very nice line in Jordan Peterson's book where he says this beautiful uh, statue, I think it was the David statue. It's basically every way, every day that you see it, this statue is telling you, you could do more, you could be better. And this is something very that makes you feel very uncomfortable. Because if the statue is telling me I need to feel to do better, then I'm out of my so-called comfort zone. So is there, is there like a balance between I am inspired, I want to be better, but also at the same time, I don't want to have an effect of my self-esteem? So how are we to make these young people realize that no, you shouldn't actually feel bad. And even more, you shouldn't expect the government to uh, ban Photoshop, which is something that I'm seeing in many of uh, the, my students' essays, year after year after year. I think that there's, there's no solution uh, aside from the individual one, because what you have to give any human being is options, regardless, if, if, especially if they're young people, because they're trying to find their place in the world, right? So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, ban you from something that can offend you or make you feel insecure of yourself, that is only going to make you more insecure. I read the book of Jonathan Hyde, The Coddling of the American Mind, Setting a Generation to Failure. And basically the premise is that since all this political correctness and safe spaces started in the university, 
instead of having a stronger, more determined and, 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 and sure of, them, of themselves human beings, you're having a generation that cannot tolerate frustration. And I see it uh, close home, not only with beauty, with, with something even more uh, dramatic and realistic like poverty. A lot of American students go to Guatemala to do some you know, charity work and they go to schools and they go to see how is the life of really poor people. And because they have been protected and contained in their bubble of, of how things should be, they cannot tolerate to see real poverty, regardless of the fact that indigenous people in Guatemala may be 10 times happier than they are in their attitudes towards lives uh, and how they get happy just because there's a beautiful sunset or they just embrace the little things. And, 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 and American young people cannot, you know, cannot tolerate it. It's, it's, for them, is the equivalent as if you were be taking them to a concentration camp because they've been so secluded from actual frustration that, that then they don't exercise that muscle. And, and this is what Jonathan Hyde talks in the, book, in the book. The more you are confronted with challenges, the more happy you're gonna be. The more you are deprived of challenges in life, of things to overcome, then the weaker that you are because you have never been confronted to that. So I don't think it's about not putting people uh, on, on the spot or, or, or with all these options, but also be honest about it. Because what you cannot also sell is the image that a magazine cover has no Photoshop whatsoever and it's not altered whatsoever. So yeah, you can say, yeah, here is the, the photo, but this is also altered and there's also plastic surgery and there's also exercise and there's also a diet. So you choose your combination of options but not trying to sell like, oh, this is how this woman woke up in the morning and now she's in the cover of the magazine because that's also unrealistic, right? Right. So now I'm going to open a can of worms, but it's interesting. I don't know if you have noticed there is this new, very, very popular movie Netflix, which is called 365 Days. So this is based mm -hmm. on a Polish book called 365 DNI, which is Days in Polish. And it was trending on Twitter and people are talking about it. So the story is basically 50 Shades of Grey, but 50 times more toxic. And it's a bit between porn, beauty and the beast and 50 Shades of Grey. So what happens is there's a woman going to vacations to Sicily and there's this mafia guy who is obsessed with her and he kidnaps her. And he's telling her, I'm going to keep you hostage for 365 days till you fall in love with me. I'm not going to do sexual advances to you, but basically you're my hostage. Anyway, so here's the interesting phenomenon, though. This movie now is number one in many countries, in many different sides of the, kind, sides of the world. And if you see the male protagonist, you'll understand why. He's a guy that whatever standard you go by, this guy is ridiculously good looking, fit, hot, however you want to call it. Yeah. So on the one hand, we have people saying, uh, you know, beauty is, uh, is objective, is a social construct. On the other hand, we have novels like Fifty Shades of Grey or like this one, and I don't want to go on the domination side, just on the pure optics. So you have something, someone like Christian Grey, 
who is what we consider the, the, the fantasy of a good looking guy. And now in this, you have the mafia Italian guy who's exactly this model and you see people react to it. You see women, actually, if you see the comments on Twitter, they're like, when is the next flight to Sicily? Because I, you know, I want to meet this guy. So, and again, I don't want to enter the discussion whether this is toxic, that's another discussion. Mm-hmm. So is there something universal in this that no matter how many times we hear that, yeah, this is a, you know, this is a, the toxic image, this is photoshopped or this is unrealistic. When we see it, we react to it. So when you see the guy with the V-shape and the six abs and this kind of, you know, the deep the testosterone flowing out of his body, that we react to it. Of course, but you react, I think, in a way that we react also to superheroes, right? Uh, we would love to fly. We would love to, uh, you know, conquer all the crime in the world and, and, and defeat it. And, and it's an image of uh, also, I think it's more psychological than only the beauty of the guy, because it's not only the, the prototype of the, of the, or the archetype of the, of the perfect uh, guy, but it's also someone that beautiful in the real world has not one woman, but has a lot of women. So for women, it's something about conquering the gorgeous guy and make him obsessed only with yourself, which is something that if you study, I I read a book uh, by two neuroscientists called Why Women Have Sex. And it's like the, the, the standards of what women find really attractive. And we talked about it, like, sense of humor but the other was like the structure of the face it cannot be too male too 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 masculine that it's uh that that scares her but it cannot be too pretty face because then it reminds her of her own children and it 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 brings out the maternal sense so when they look for these archetypes like 50 shades of gray or the movie that you're mentioning it's always a mix in between, right? The guy is super masculine, but he also has this tender size that for some reason, only that girl can open up and, and see. So it's more of the challenge of being the one person, you know, that, that is able to conquer that complicated heart. And this is something that I think women in all the cultures are obsessed with. Uh, and if you add beauty to that equation even more, because you deal with that with, with many of the male figures in, in your life. It could be your dad, it could be your, your brother, your husband, right? You always know that the, the, the archetype is that the man uh, brings his feelings to himself. And if he expresses it and, and if he's vulnerable, it's like a treasure that you should carry with, 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 with care. Because if not, he's just going to shut down again. So I think it has to do with that. And that's why we are obsessed with it, because it's about conquering the beauty that comes in a, in a complicated package. And I think there is something more in non-Anglo-Saxon cultures where this beauty thing is still very alive. So, and again, I'm not a sexist solo guy because I appreciate this even in, even in men. So, you know, when they say some films is like candy for the eye, I've, I've noticed in Netflix quite often when you see like a Mexican film or a Spanish production or, or even a, 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 any production which is not from the UK or the US, you see more unapologetic this, like every guy is, is this kind of V-shaped thing. And yeah. again, you could say, but there is, there is something appealing to it because 
it's also this element of effort. It's mm -hmm. not, it's that you put the work in yourself. So it's not about this is, everyone should look like that. It's, it's that you take yourself seriously. And I think this is my issue, my only, my issue with the body positivity movement. And actually I will read you an advertising for, uh, it's, it's by the Boots, uh, it's by the Boots Martins, you know, the, the, yeah. So they had, they had the poster in the London Tube by a body positivity model. And it says, tough as you, that's not my problem. But below it says, embrace your flaws. You, you give, sorry, em embrace your flaws. Your flaws will give you the world. It's tough, but it will make you tougher. So this is the message I don't like. I don't yeah. like the message that says, embrace your flaws because that's how you conquer the world. Because I think this is not accurate. You can, because the way you change the world, because changing the world is very difficult. If you just say to yourself, you know, be who you are, then that's a problem beyond the body positivity movement. Because I see this everywhere. I don't, and this is not specific on body positivity. We live in a culture that basically says, don't aim too high. Like there was, there was Elon Musk doing this brilliant thing with SpaceX and people were saying, why is he doing this? Like, we, we yeah. still have problems here on earth. So my problem with this idea that says, that if you aspire to beauty, you are, you, you are going by your brainwashed. My problem with this is that where is your, we need more ambition. We need more people that we look up to. And this doesn't have to be your beauty. Like I look up to, let's say uh, Jordan Peterson, because he can talk to 20,000 to, to thousands of people and their attention is there. I might disagree with him, yeah. But there's something to look up to. Or I look up to Yaron Brook that he has a show that runs, that has been running for years. And every day he has super important content to come up with. So my final words on this one is that in a way, beauty today is a revolt. Beauty is a revolution. It's, yeah. the, it's a radical thing. And again, not beauty in a shallow sense, not beauty in a narcissistic sense, but yeah. beauty as an aspiration to do more as an aspiration to be more things. And that's why I'm a bit uncomfortable with this idea that says that beauty standards are social concern, although they could be. And you were right, you mentioned the very thin models. And by the way, I don't find that super attractive, but mm -hmm. don't let this, I would say, be a burden on the idea of ambition and of idea to, to aim higher. So what would be your parting words today then to our audience? I, I think that there are, t there are um, uh, two things that I want to mention. The first is definitely your flaws are not going to be the thing that is going to be useful to change the world. It's the overcoming of your flaws. Exactly. It's either accepting, as Anran uh, quotes uh, in, in, in this, uh, in this uh, famous uh, book, Philosophy Who Needs It, accepting the things you cannot change, do something for the things that you can, and recognize the difference because most of the people in the world are obsessed with the things they cannot change and they do nothing for the things that they actually could. And in my personal experience about like a flaw or, or, or how I would take an advertisement like that, when I was 19 years old, I didn't know what I wanted for my birthday. And it, it passed like for three years like that. And then my dad was like, what do you want for your birthday? 
And I said, you know what? After three years, I know what I want. I want a nose job. I want to take out this level of my nose. And he was like, okay, that's what you want to do. I think it's a huge mistake. But if that's what you want to do, we're going to go to see three doctors. And so we went. And every doctor explained to me like how they will open up my nose and do it with a, with a hammer and this and that. And by the third doctor, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this to myself. So my dad was like, you know what? I'm going to give you half of the money uh, that, that of the average of, of the surgery. And then you decide what you want to do. And so I reflected upon it. And in that moment, I also I had an offer of going to a seminar, a summer seminar about liberty and free market economics in Belgium. I had never been in my life in Europe. And I was like, okay, on one hand, I have a nose that's going to be eaten by the worms when I die, or I can go to Europe for the first time in my life and actually, you know, uh, have an experience. What do I value most? And what I valued most was the fact that I could go to Europe. Why? Because I already accepted my nose. If you don't accept yourself because you are fat, because you're short, because you're black, because you don't have a leg, because you don't have an arm, it doesn't matter in what part of the world you're going to be. You're going to be miserable. So I do believe that we have to overcome our flaws, accept the things that we can change, change the ones that, that you know, we, we want to, and then enjoy life. Because if you live a life trapped in a body where you are constantly sad and obsessed on, on who you are, then you are not going to enjoy. So, so I think it, it's about that. And also understanding, and I, I hope that this coronavirus crisis makes it clear for once and for all, that the most important beauty of, it, of all is healthy beauty. Uh, so extremes like obesity or, uh, uh, or being anorexic, it, it's not about that. It's about actually having a healthy immune system that serves to you because your body is a vehicle uh, and, and your mind is the motor and is the vehicle that you're going to use to live your life. So embrace it and, and keep it healthy like you would with a car. You don't give your car you know, the, the, the shittiest the gasoline that you can give it if you have the means to give it something better. So treat, treat your vehicle in life with love, with acceptance, but also with care. Exactly. And it's, it's what you said, the things you can't change and the things you can't change. And I will leave our audience with a scene from Cyrano de Bergerac, which was Ayn Rand's favorite place. So Cyrano had the, a huge nose and actually... There's a very beautiful line, and now I have the translation in Greek, but he says something like, before I go out, I make sure I look good in terms of my morals, in terms of my character. So he, he, he basically says something like, I never go out without first having checked that everything in me is as I want them to be. And he means his character, his bravery, his unbreachable ethics. So things you can't change and things you, things you can change, change them, things you can't change, accept them, and I think that's, that's a way to go out in life and pursue values and pursue virtues. So, Gloria, that was fun. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nikos. And <laughs> thanks, thanks to our audience. Tomorrow we are back with, uh, I think I'm co-hosting with Raka, and we have Inaya from the UK, and we talk about some 
not very beautiful things that have been happening from the UK. We'll be back with Gloria soon, uh, later this week. So all the best and see you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.